Welcome to Product in the Enterprise. I'm your host, Greg Prickrell. Today, we are going to have another conversation with Manuel Montonca, a global pricing expert, about an approachable way to think about pricing. We had a great conversation with him last year. I'm sure you will get a ton of valuable information out of our conversation. Let's jump right in. Okay, Manu, I am so happy that you are here. Thrilled to have you on the podcast again. Last year, maybe about a year ago, uh, we had a discussion on a different podcast that I was hosting. I will give folks that link. We talked about the basics of pricing. There's been a lot of impressive development since then around your thinking, around tooling and all kinds of stuff. So uh, I would like to, yeah, double click, dive deeper on that. You shared with me your just value framework for pricing. And my understanding is that, yeah, this is like a big step in making pricing accessible to a lot of people. And I wonder if you can tell me a little bit I know it's got framework in the name, but is it really an approach or a philosophy? How does it relate? How would you relate it to tooling and that kind of thing? Hi, Greg. Great to be talking to you again. Um, for me, the Just Value Framework is the result of many, many years of working with software services companies, in services companies, for services companies and seeing how people buy software. And we all know about value selling, value-based pricing, how these have been used in different industries for decades already, some of them. But many managers in software companies still struggle to organize their sales process and their pricing so that they can maximize whatever business objectives they want to maximize. Sometimes they want higher profits, other, other people want to increase revenues, maybe you want to increase volume and sell more of what you have. Pricing is a great tool to help you achieve this, but it's not obvious how you can do that. And that's where I think I can help because doing this for so many years has allowed me to see all the intricacies and all the different scenarios which are possible and seeing how people most of the time price based on fear. And this can only lead to one result, which is suboptimal pricing in either direction. Either they put a price which is too high and they lose the project, or more commonly, they put, they put a price which is lower than what it should be. And I'm wondering to help product people relate to this thing. I still don't think the message is out there enough. I see people conflating like the terms agile and scrum all the time. You know, yeah. we, what's your development methodology? We use agile. Uh, to me, agile is really, I mean, literally, it's a set of values and principles, right? Some people call it a mindset or an approach. How does that kind of distinction, then you have Scrum, which is a framework, which is a term you used. Is there some analogy that's, that's similar that's exactly to this Agile how, and Scrum? That's exactly how I, how I see it. For me, Agile is a philosophy, a mindset 
that you, you, you can be agile without any framework, without any structure, without reading any books. And I've, I've met a lot of people in my life who are agile without knowing that agile exists. It's the same with value selling. You have natural born sellers who apply value selling without knowing that this exists as a term, as a definition, without reading any value selling books. So this is a mindset. It's the same for value-based pricing, but this doesn't tell you what you need to do. And that's the, the, the comparison is very good. Agile is the equivalent of value selling and value-based pricing, just as just value framework is the equivalent of Scrum. It's a method, a documented method that shows you a path it tells you what you can do, how you can do it, who should do it, when they should do it. Obviously, it's a methodology, so it's not mandatory. It's not a step-by-step -step process, a procedure that you can just plug and play into every organization. You still have to adapt it. You still have to think about it. You still have to consider the context, your business objectives, what you want to achieve. But it's a, it goes a long way in helping people to apply something that they feel could work, namely value-based pricing, to an area where a lot of times the first reaction is, yes, it sounds good in theory, but in practice, it doesn't work. Now, this is what I've seen and I've heard many times from many people, not because they don't want to do better or because they are not capable or because they don't have the resources, it's just that they don't have, usually we need two things to do something. Yeah? We need a, a positive example. We need to see that somebody has done that and it worked for them. And then if we have that, then we want to see practically how we can do it. Becoming a product leader is one of the toughest transitions many people will make in their career. At coachpms.com, we can build a personalized coaching program that helps you find your feet, lead your team with confidence, and have a strategic impact on your organization. For more information, visit us at coachpms.com. So Manu, if we go below the framework level, I know on like the Scrum Kanban side, in the last 10 years, there's been this explosion of platforms and tools to support product managers. I don't see that as much on the pricing side, but part of that is because that's really, you know, and we, we talked about that, I think in the other podcast, that the truth is very few product managers are accountable for pricing on their product. I don't want to rehash that, but that's the reality. Yep. You know, people claim a lot. If you actually look at their accountabilities, it's not there. What is happening on the pricing side? Because I feel like part of the obstacle is, you know, there's no obvious tool that I can go to to support me in pricing to help me get there. What is happening on the pricing side? There are a lot of pricing software and platforms. Some of them are or have already been on the market for decades, 20, 30 years. I have seen an explosion in the past few years of pricing platforms which are targeting very specific industries, a lot for e-commerce and doing dynamic pricing and price optimization, competition benchmarks for e-commerce. I've seen a lot of pricing apps for SaaS, which help people 
optimize their packages and their to do research on willingness to pay, to understand the churn. Yeah, because you need to have all this data to, to take optimum pricing decisions. I've also seen very specialized pricing software for manufacturing, for healthcare, for airlines. There are more and more pricing apps. And I think that's a very good thing because most businesses and most companies are underutilizing this tool. In my mind, pricing is a tool. It, it helps you achieve some objectives. The better you use the tool and the more you understand how it can be used, the better the results you might, you might get. The more pricing apps we see, the better for everyone in the industry. Yeah, because without going too much into, right, really, this recursive idea of the value of pricing, the fact is there's a lot of data that shows us that probably the biggest lever we have in terms of profitability is pricing. We focus on building a better mousetrap, doing better go-to-market, but the truth is if we want to have an impact on margin, on profitability, price is probably where we should be starting, right? Absolutely. And, and I have a very specific example in mind. I just remembered now a conversation I had a few months ago in one of my projects. And I remember, I'm, I'm laughing because I, I know that this is how I actually got to know you, which was I uh, doing research about the Kano model of prior, prioritizing the roadmap and the backlog. And a few months ago in a project, we were looking at how that specific solution is creating value for their customers. To do pricing, obviously, we need to understand how we, talk, how we create value and what are we going to charge for. The, the, more we the better we understand that, the higher the chances that the customers will pay for what you're asking. And it was interesting to see that you can use pricing tools to actually do prioritization of the roadmap by asking a very simple tool. Okay, we have a long list of features that we can add to our software. Why are we adding them? And sometimes you have background features or um, something that helps everybody without being able to put a, 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 a number on it, yeah? But that's an exception because for most features and modules and anything we need to add to an existing platform, we should be able to answer a very simple question. Is there someone who is willing to pay for this? Yes or no? If they are willing to pay for it, how much are they willing to pay? Will this justify two euros more per month per user in our price? Or will this justify having a separate module as an add-on that people will pay $100 per year? Will we should, if not this, okay, will this increase our conversion rate. Right now we have a certain conversion rate on the pricing page. If we add this feature to this package, will that change the conversion rate? All of these are questions which you can answer with data, which you can test, experiment, validate. It's, not, it's nothing personal. It's not, it's not subjective opinions. And then basically you can feed that into your product management practice and the way you organize your, your process so that any price product decision is also influenced by customers, what they are willing to pay for and what they value. 
Yeah, and I think it's interesting. What you say makes a lot of sense, but I don't think that's the way a lot of product managers think. We do think about these metrics like conversion and these other things. I don't know that we're thinking about what can I do so that I can increase the price point, which is really what's going to make my business more profitable. So it's this that's fundamental really, thing that's yeah, kind of broken. That's something that amazes me every single time because typically in any software organization, after the initial phase where you launch a product and you, you are still finding your footing and finding product market fit and trying to understand what works or not. After a certain point and at certain scales, you have huge lists of ideas of what could be done. Yeah? Everybody, any product manager can come up with at least 10 good ideas without even thinking about it. The problem is that you never have all the resources available to implement all of them at the same time which means that you need to prioritize. And the, the amazing thing for me is that pricing and profitability is not usually a part of that conversation. That we are, go we are gonna prioritize based on many other things from feasibility to integrations to what the developers like to work on to the HIPPO yeah, opinion. But we're not looking at pricing which again, it's just two fundamental questions. What do customers value? How much are they willing to pay for that? So yeah, it's that second question where we probably fall down. So I think just in terms of awareness, that's a great takeaway from this conversation is that as product managers, we should be running a business and probably not for every feature, as you said, but we should be thinking about putting a price tag on this value because that's a fairly well accepted concept. And I think a nice segue into your framework. We do have a lot of approaches, frameworks. There's a lot of discourse around this idea of customer value, which it turns out, you know, is super tricky, super slippery, very often, especially at the feature level, hard to get our hands around. But I'm looking at a representation of your framework it's basically a pie. There's a series of wedges that I would consider like kind of phases or areas of focus that we go through. And at the top, there's this label that the first step, as I understand it when I look at this, is really this idea of value selling. And I'm wondering if we can decompose this idea of value a little bit because it can be very confusing. Yeah. It Typically, value selling and value-based pricing are, are mixed or considered to be the same thing. They are completely different. Value-based pricing is the idea that you set your price not only based on costs and what your competition is doing, but also on the value you create for your customer. And you try to quantify that value to understand willingness to pay, to understand their capacity to pay, to understand how much more they, they will make if they use your solution. And then you set your price based on that. Value selling is the idea that when you start your process to a conversation with a potential customer, you don't talk about how difficult it was to create your software. You don't talk about uh, the fact that other people are using this and they have to do it. You try to understand and you, have the whole conversation around what, what are their needs, 
what problems they're looking to solve. And then you position your solution as a, an answer to those problems and those needs. And at the same time, you quantify the value for the customer. So that whether it's a very complex implementation where you have they have to spend millions of dollars just to get the system up and running, or it's a very simple tool that only two people will use and they pay nine euros per month to use it, you have an idea of what is the financial impact for them. This is the economic value. Sometimes it makes sense to also take into account emotional value to go into fears. If you're selling cybersecurity software, you are going to position it as an insurance. Yeah? Use this so that you're not going to have to deal with the aftermath of, a, of a, an attack or something. But most of the time, it's about economic value. Because even if people don't make decisions based on numbers, this is the, the, the fundamental difficulty, is that people don't make decisions based on your own numbers, but they can block decisions if the numbers are not right. So even if you, what you are selling has emotional value, or it's a technology so new and innovative that you cannot really put a number on it and say how much money people will make with it. If somebody, if you find your champion inside your customer's organization and they are convinced and they want to buy and they have to convince other people inside their organization to do that, if they don't have a business case, it will be very difficult for them. It doesn't mean that the business case is enough. It does mean that it's a precondition and you have to have it. And most of the time, these champions don't know how to make that business case. It's your, our responsibility as the vendor to help them build that. And by doing that, we also help ourselves because then we can position, we can answer a very simple question. I'm working on a product and it cost me $10 million to, as an investment to build it. Customers are only willing to pay 1,000 per year. Can I find enough customers at this price point to justify the investment? If not, it means that I cannot increase the price because customers are not willing to pay more than that, which means I don't have a business. The reverse is also true. If it costs me $10 million to invest to start, and I find a custom 100 customers that are willing to pay 1 million per year, and I'm only charging what it cost me to, to, to invest, then I'm underpricing it. And I'm leaving a lot of value on the table for the customer. So that's why it's important that we also understand that vendors, what is the value we create for customers and we quantify it with economic terms and numbers. Yeah, so I think that's interesting. Value selling is about first uncovering customer needs. We can express those as what problems do they want to solve. If I look at your framework, that's always a question I ask when I come across something new. What problems is this solving? And I think you've referred to some of them. And I think the one that is most compelling that we don't necessarily think of is what you said about setting prices based on fear. This defensive position where we haven't taken the time to understand the value we're delivering. And we undersell ours, you know, we we undervalue what we're delivering to the market. But what other problems? Like, you know, for these companies that have to do pricing, 
do you feel like you're addressing with this framework? One is of alignment. A lot of times you have different departments, just as product management is not so much involved in pricing. That's true for other departments as well. Because pricing is, is usually a, a shared responsibility. And you have people both from finance, marketing, sales, strategy, sometimes manufacturing, delivery, depending on the type of business, which means that even if there is a pricing function, whether as a team or as a person, they still don't have full responsibility. They cannot go to any department and say, this is the price. They, a lot of times they act as an internal consultant and they gather data and they come up with a framework and they try to have everyone aligned. This is not happening in smaller companies. This alignment and this sharing of responsibility, most of the time is just non-existent. And this framework is a way to show to everyone in the organization which are the practices for which they should be responsible so that the entire uh, organization achieves optimal pricing. Yeah. yeah, so the title of this podcast is Product in the Enterprise. I'm a B2B guy. I think about these big, hairy problems. And I'm wondering, is pricing, some of the things you're referring to about this complex buying decision, uh, the complexity of the organization around pricing. Do you feel that pricing is significantly, it's a significantly different practice in uh, B2C context as opposed to B2B? No. The, the fundamentals are the same because we are all trying to convince some people to buy from us. Whether those people are buying as individuals, as consumers, and whether they buy low ticket items, impulse buying online or in store, where or they are business directors who have to buy for their organizations and they have budgets to uh, stick to and long-term business plans. We're all humans. We're driven by the same fundamental ge genetics and psychological biases. And the the building blocks are the same. For sure, you cannot, for example, if we take one pricing tool, coin joint analysis, it's very difficult to do coin joint analysis where you need thousands of respondents. If, you're, if your target market is only 10 big enterprise customers in a specific industry, yeah? you, you'll not be able to use that tool. You will use it, and a lot of companies use it if they are selling smartphones or laptops or other consumer devices, because then they have a, a target of hundreds of millions, if not billions. But just because you can't use that tool, it doesn't mean that you cannot use other tools to achieve the same result, which is to understand what people are willing to pay for and how much. Yeah, that's interesting. And you know, we talked about value selling, which is kind of like the first meta phase of this thing. When I look at the next one, which is optimal pricing, I want to dive deeper into this idea of, you know, as part of this practice, you explicitly need to eliminate fears and emotions from the price calculation. Makes sense to me, but I can't imagine like practically, how do you do that? What are, what are techniques that I can use to, yeah, eliminate the fear and emotion? 
at the, at the base level, what this means is that, first of all, nowhere in the process should you have a step which says person X decides whether the discount is two or three or 5%. Because that person, whether they are an owner, a manager, a director, a vice president, or a pricing analyst, will have fears and emotions that will influence them. So you want the pricing to be set based on algorithms and automatically with no human override. That's how you eliminate fears. Anytime you have a step in the process which says this person can say whether it's 10 or 12 or 15, then you'll have fears and emotions influence the conversation. The same with competition benchmarks. If you don't do it this in a disciplined way, competition becomes the biggest fear factor. You have sales coming in, we lost this, this project because the competition undersold us by 10%. We have to reduce our prices. That might be true or not, because typically what you don't have in that conversation is at what level did that competitor offer their services? Was it the same level or their product? Was it the same level of quality as we did? Or did they have 20% less quality with 10% less the price? Because in that case, they are more expensive. And actually, we should not reduce our price. We, we should do a better job of explaining our value to our customers and making sure that they understand the total cost of ownership and the fact that our solution would have been cheaper for them on the long run. So another aspect of this optimal pricing, love what you said, makes total sense. This one, I think, really strikes fear in the heart of a lot of product people. And that is this idea of dynamic pricing. Like if we think of like more static pricing, I think all the implications of setting price, defining a pricing model are overwhelming. When we start thinking about this algorithmic approach where, yeah, we're gonna pump in some data and we're gonna be told a price that we should stick with. Uh, yeah, it uh, I think enhances this fear and emotion. I don't think most product managers are thinking about dynamic pricing. Uh, how do you go about pitching this idea of dynamic pricing to kind of a conservative traditional organization who's used to just basically putting a virtual price tag on their stuff and hoping it sells. I know that everybody or most people run away from dynamic pricing exactly for the reasons you mentioned. My question is always, how can you not do dynamic pricing? To do static price, to have fixed prices that don't change in real time, it means that you need to have fixed costs, fixed competition, fixed value for customers. It means that any customer that comes in, they get the same value. It means that in any context, your competition will not change their pricing. It means that in any context, your vendors or your suppliers will not change their prices. That doesn't exist. I, I just cannot imagine any company in this world right now, in, in, in the capitalist world that can say, we are 100% sure that the price we set today will be exactly the same in every minute of the day for the next one month, and we will make the expected profit margin. This just doesn't exist. 
And if every if the three forces that impact the, your price, costs, competition, and value for customer change all the time, how can the price not change all the time? Yeah, I think that's something that we as a community, product people, product managers are going to have to internalize. And I think the canonical example to me is airlines. Like since I was in business school, basically, right? The example given for dynamic, and I always make half jokingly that their kind of core competency is dynamic pricing, not making a like acceptable Absolutely. travel experience, right? Uh, so I think we've covered a lot, Manu, this idea of product managers kind of influence pricing, of realizing that if we want a profitable bit, profitable business, this is probably our biggest lever, that we are not even really thinking about many times the implications of pricing on our prioritization or what we build, or maybe we flip that around. You know, what is what what is the impact of what we build going to have on pricing? How can we deliver more value so we can get that price up? And just probably the word for the day is fear. I think product people have a fear of pricing, which means they leave it to other people. They don't do dynamic pricing, even though that makes a ton of sense, especially in B2B where there's limited kind of transparency. I can Absolutely. see in some cases, right? It's tough to do uh, dynamic pricing because people can compare, you know, they will look. And it even happens with airlines, right? You look one time, the price is this. You look 10 minutes later and the price has already changed. Uh, so I think hopefully today we have done a lot to increase awareness that even if you're not driving pricing, pricing is critical to your product business. Yeah, and what's, what's ironical from my perspective is that, ironic, is that if the, the problem is pricing with fear, the antidote from our experience is pricing with data, algorithms, and discipline. And this, exact, this is exactly what product managers do day to day. These are the fundamental building blocks of product management. Yeah, it's data. You want to take decisions based on data. You want to use a structured decision-making where you have some sort of algorithm. Algorithms, for me, is not necessarily machine learning and it's just basic if then if this happens we have to do this if this happens we have to do that that's what we use and then you need discipline yeah that's everything that you're doing yeah it's methods and ways to help people manage their their work and their teams and their products in a disciplined way these same building blocks are the same critical success factors for pricing nothing else is needed so I think we made reasonable progress through the framework. I will obviously make a link available so that people can uh, go explore themselves. I hope folks are internalizing this idea that pricing is just way too critical for product managers to turn a blind eye to it. I have one little question just out of curiosity. Like I've been playing with like chat GPT quite a bit lately. I look at pricing, you know, a lot of potential inputs. Do you have an opinion about what role AI or open AI is going to play in pricing, let's say in the next five years or so? Are you seeing AI being used, machine learning, that kind of thing? There are already a lot of 
pricing software that have artificial intelligence already included in their offering and their algorithms and data analysis is using AI. This is an obvious candidate for one of the domains that will that will use AI to the maximum because it's complex. You don't have accepted patterns or accepted ways of working, which means that you can much easier make a change. And it requires huge amounts of data. So obviously this is this is a great candidate for, for an area where AI will have a huge impact. Wonderful. Yeah, looking forward to see those developments. Looking forward to hearing more about frameworks and other stuff that I just happen to know are on your roadmap for this year. So maybe towards the end of the year, uh, we touch base again and uh, review the progress you've made. Mon, thanks so much for your time, for helping us become more aware of the criticality of uh, pricing. And yeah, look forward to your third appearance on the podcast. I'm glad we had the chance to, to talk about uh, pricing again. All the best. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Product in the Enterprise. If you did, please give us a like, let folks know about us. That is the kindest thing you can do to help podcasts like this flourish. And we will see you next time.